The Burton Continuum is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Some language may not be suitable for younger audiences. Y'all want to take y'all's Tahoe or mine? We can just all ride together. Today we're in South Boston, Virginia, to meet the eldest Burton cousin on the NASCAR circuit, Jeb. I planted these pines three years ago, and they're jumping up. I did that so because this was just a field. So then you could see the. If you know anything about South Boston, you know it's a quiet, laid-back town. But to find Jeb. You have to leave the pavement and look for the balloons attached to the mailbox? You need to pull your seat up so you can fit oh, yeah. back there. I got a little leg. We eventually found his home up this long-ass driveway, far away from civilization. But also, right where you'd expect the son of the snake charming Daytona 500 champion Ward Burton to be. You got enough room back there? Yes, definitely. Jeb and his wife Brandy greeted us outside. We hopped into Jeb's truck and headed even further down into the woods, where Jeb wanted to take us to his favorite place growing up. Well, the, the rock is kind of a little more hidden now than it's underneath that boat, but we can get out right here if you want. This is where I used to bring all my girlfriends. Jeb and Brandy are taking us to this huge pond near Ward's house. And it's so far off the beaten path, you feel like you're in a different world. Is that a beaver over there in the pond? I thought I heard a tail earlier, but um, and I was like, maybe it was just a fish, I don't know. But for Jeb, this is home. And I can see why. It's quiet, peaceful, and a great place to sit and watch nature. South Boston is a small map dot town. But to truly understand one of racing's favorite families, you have to know where it all began. But why is this town of under 8,000 people so desirable to Jeb? Why does he choose to live hundreds of miles away from his career? And could that be why his future seems to always be uncertain? To find out, let's start by getting to know the man behind it all. Jeb Burton. I'm Alex Timms, and this is the Burton Continuum. For a town that's so quiet and relaxing, South Boston has produced some of the most colorful characters NASCAR has ever seen. We would go cruising. Um, you know, we go cruising down the main street. We go to the skating rink. One of them is Chris Rice, president of Colleg Racing. But today, he serves as my South Boston guru. It was a lot of fun because you had a lot of friends, a lot of people to lean on. And, and still today, I have a lot of friends that came from South Boston and moved away. So very genuine people. For me at that time, it was, it was pretty damn cool. That's Jeff Burton, Harrison's dad and Jeb's uncle. You felt like you were part of a community. You went out and you spent time with people. It was a very diverse community too. Like I learned a lot about life growing up in that town. The, the town itself is pretty small. 
you know everybody, everybody knows you, and uh, it's just a little old country town that uh, you probably can still find a general store. I remember when we got McDonald's, and it was like, damn, we got McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, they were lined up. The biggest reason I loved growing up in the small town was because of the property that we had. As a kid, I could go out there and hunt and fish, and then the small town lifestyle of like everywhere you go, you see somebody that you know. You'd think most NASCAR drivers would want to live in Charlotte, the sports hub. But despite all the struggles to find sponsors and opportunities, Jeb would still rather drive more than two hours and live in South Boston than go back to living in Charlotte. When I moved away a little bit, I got an apartment in Charlotte and I missed that. Like everywhere I went, I didn't know anybody I was seeing. One thing about it, I can go here and have a beer and not be called an alcoholic, where if I go down in Mooresville, I'm gonna see somebody was racing. Well, that burden boy is drinking. I think that's hurt a lot of guys' racing careers too, is getting caught up in that. Mooresville drama. As a kid, Jeb was no stranger to drama. Just ask his parents, Tabitha and Ward. Jeb as a child was full of energy. Um, he was always into something. He wasn't a bad kid, but he kept me on my toes. He wasn't quiet. He, he was mischief in every sense of the way. School was always an issue. I don't know how many different schools we sent him to. I think I think it was at least five, uh, probably by the 10th grade. I didn't give a damn about it. I was thinking about hunting or racing or something else, girls. Ward would go racing, so Jeb would stay with us sometimes on the weekends. That's Brian Burton, Jeb's other uncle. And he would point to his dad and say, that one day I'm going to do that. I'm like, why is that? He said, because I'll have all the girls. <laughs> Jeb was always getting into something. He was always creating some kind of drama. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, chances are Jeb had something to do with it. Although this one time, the tree didn't necessarily fall, it just almost caught fire and burned the whole forest down. So, me and my buddy were just riding this golf cart around the farm, and they had these piles of thistle. Um, that you don't know what thistle is? Neither does 95% of the population. Well, it turns out it's a very flammable wheat. It was piles of it everywhere, and it was just knee-high, and it was a jacked-up golf cart. It wasn't like a golf cart. It was a golf cart with big tires on it. So I was just like, I'm just going to run over one. Not fast, just slow, just to do it. And I ran over it, and I got stuck on it. And I saw smoke. And then I was like, what is that? So then I looked on there, and I saw a little flame. And then it ignited. And I was like, I need to not worry about the golf cart now, or this thing could blow up and I die. As Jeb is telling this story, Ward is laying back in the chair and facing Jeb in a way you know he's never heard this part of the story before. The flames were higher than trees. I mean, it was way high. Like, it was bad. It burnt it to the ground. 
and if the one cedar tree that was on 50 yards, 60 yards away from it would have caught, the whole place would have burned down. The thing was nothing left. It was nothing left but rust. Brand new, it had about eight hours on it. It was a loner. Now, as the son of a NASCAR Cup Series driver, Jeb frequently accompanied his dad at the track. And where do children of race car drivers typically hang out? the motorhome lot, where all the competitors stay as they travel the country and compete. Future drivers like Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, and Jeb and Harrison Burton were all running around the motorhome lot as kids before they ever dreamed of climbing behind the wheel. I went a lot and did a lot at the track, but I stayed home a lot too with my grandparents. And those weekends, NASCAR was glad he stayed home. One weekend, I, I believe it was New Hampshire, and I think it's the the, win, the time when we'd won. I had stayed behind to take our daughter to camp. And apparently after that weekend, no kids were allowed to drive the golf carts in the motorhome lot anymore because Jeb and Tommy Baldwin got in trouble. They hit somebody's car with the uh, golf cart. So <laughs> there was always something. Tommy Baldwin was Ward Burton's crew chief back in the day. And the two even won a Daytona 500 together. But back then, it seemed all you needed to do was be in Jeb's presence. And something interesting was going to happen. So one time, Brandon McReynolds and I filled Carl Edwards' shoes with whipped cream. His shoes were outside his door. And we filled those damn things up full, like in the back. <laughs> we filled it up. And I don't know if it was his shoes or not, but it was outside of his bus. And we're just getting started. The Dale one was the best for 100, 100 bucks or it was 80 bucks, I can't remember, but that guy paid me for that hat. All right, so the story goes like this. A fan approached a young Jeb through a fence in the infield asking if he can get him an autograph from Dale Jr. on his hat. And of course, Jeb took that and ran with it. I'll never forget it. I went right to the fence, same fence that's there today. He was outside playing his PS2, and I walked right up to him and I said, will you sign this? And he stopped playing his video game, he signed it. I said, thanks, man. And I knew I could get it because I saw him out there playing his video game. So what's he going to do, tell me no? And it didn't just happen one time. Jeb was running an underground black market driver autograph operation. So I used to do that all the time as I'd get the programs of the race weekend. And I'd get all the drivers to sign it and then I'd go sell it. And I would just sit right when the drivers get off the golf cart to go in the garage because I have the access. And I would bring back like $300 in cash. We were at Bristol and he came in the motorhome, you know, those motorhome lots, you're gated in with security guards. The kids would just go out and play, be at the play set. They were always just running around. And he came in with this wad of money. And I'm like, Jeff, where'd that come from? He's, he's like, well, I've got uh, a little business. And I'm like, what, what kind of business have you got? Because again, he was probably 10 years old. Now imagine this 10-year-old kid 
in his Ward Burton number 22 Caterpillar shirt, asking for your autograph every week. Jeb didn't think nothing of it. They stopped signing them. Really? Yeah. Elliot Sadler and Rusty Wallace, they started getting pissed off. And they stopped signing the stuff. I was like nine. I was like, that's like a douchebag move right there. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm just trying to go buy a toy. I told him, you know, I made you donate the money and put a stop to it. And he's like, yeah, I donated that money, but you didn't really put a stop to it. <laughs> he kept going. <laughs> he's always been an entrepreneur. I told you. Jeb can really sell some shit. Around the motorhome lot, he was known as the troublemaker, the entrepreneur. But this one weekend in Michigan, he took it to a whole nother level, to the point that it required the attention of his dad, who was in the middle of practice ahead of Sunday's race. At Michigan again, we were shooting water balloons with these water balloon launchers and we were slamming these windshields. And the fans were loving it, you know? They were like, yeah. We finally hit one, they said we shattered their windshield. That was total bullshit. There's no way a water balloon's gonna shatter their windshield. Yeah, oh my gosh. He, so Jeb had a friend with him. They were playing with water balloons and they had a slingshot and they were shooting them out into the infield and hitting people. You know, of course, they thought it was hilarious. Right after practice, Tommy said, NASCAR wants to see you. And, it, and I'm still practicing. And the only reason they didn't stop me in practice because it was getting ready to end. So me and Brandon, we know they're coming. They're looking for us. So we hide in the um, slide. And they busted Brandon about a minute later. They popped in there and climbed halfway up in there and saw me and got me out. The police came and pulled Dad out of the cup car and practiced. I get escorted out there and have to meet this guy. And, of course, he had a broken window. But I'm like, sir, there's no way in the world this water balloon broke the window. That weekend, we actually were on our way to the, to the beach. And... We got to the beach and he and his friend were at the water balloons again, shooting them out into the road. And we ended up having the police come on day one of the vacation. Jeb's clearly the Kevin McAllister of the motorhome lot. But there's one more story that makes Jeb look like a saint. I want to tell you the one about but I don't want him to get him in trouble. Jeb wants to protect the identity of his accomplice. And I'm going to honor that. But just to give you an idea, he's around Jeb's age and also comes from a racing family with racing uncles and quite possibly is the most hellient kid to ever come through that motorhome lot. The bridge at Bristol, he got up on that thing and he had a big chunk of ice like this. And a cop car came underneath and he threw it right on the freaking windshield. And I was like, oh shit. And I took off. And I ran straight to the motorhome and he ran to his. And the police were coming through there looking. Never got caught. 
For Jeb at that time, he was only interested in two things, riding his scooter and causing chaos. But most of his friends were already beginning to show an interest in racing. Jeb was always interested in the racing. Um, you know, even when he was a, a little toddler, he would line up his little race cars in the motorhome and he would commentate. You know, he would have his own little race going on during the race. But he never really showed an interest in doing it. When I was younger, I just wanted to be a kid. I just wanted to be a kid, and I wouldn't change that for nothing. Like, I wish I could have maybe raced a little bit sooner, but it worked out. I'm racing now. Did I do the right things bringing Jeb up racing compared to others now? Absolutely did not. I did the same thing that I went through, but I mean, now they're, they're running kids three, four, five times a week all over the country. And I, you know, probably in some ways a good thing, some ways maybe not. Jeb started racing at 13 when his parents bought him a motorcycle and he began to race motocross. But after seeing fellow riders continuously get hurt, Jeb's parents moved him to go-karts. And then that kind of led me down the path. The path led him to go-karts, then to late models, and it didn't take long for Ward to realize his son had talent. Jeb wasn't driving the car that I first bought him properly. It took, took me a time or two to realize what he was doing. But for him to get the car out of shape, as far as he could get it out of shape and save the damn thing, I was like... <laughs> It, he blew my mind. When I would go to A Speedway, people would be like, shit, the green trailer's here with the white dually. I know what that means. Jeb cut his teeth racing late models at Ace Speedway and South Boston Speedway, the track where his family's roots began. But in 2013, he signed with Turner Scott Motorsports to drive full-time in the truck series, one of the best teams in the field at that time. So that truck team, we had it going on, man. Right out the gate, we just had speed every week. Starting from the pole for Turner Scott Motorsports, it's two consecutive poles for Jeb Burton. Uh, Jeb Burton got when he won the pole. I'm amazed with the job Jeb Burton has done. He's won three poles. It brought tears to his eyes, the magnitude of what he was able to accomplish. After a hot start to the year, with three poles, speed, and confidence, Jeb headed into the seventh race of the year at one of his favorite racetracks, Texas Motor Speedway. Saddle up, time to unleash the horses at Texas Motor Speedway. Same ties coming now. Is there enough time remaining? That is something that I've always wanted to do is be able to say, all right, I've won everything I've driven. Three laps remaining. Jeff Burton now just a half a second in front of Ty Dillon. It's freaking hard. Like, you have to be perfect to go win. This is how you want to win your first race with a truck like Ty Dillon chasing you down. But, man, it'd be much better if you had a straightaway lead. Like, it never ends. It's something. It's always something. Inside of two laps to go. Half a second separating our top two. Man, I've had everything can happen, I feel like, in my career. 
and I haven't quit or gave up. I mean, I've been through some shit. Last time by, Dylan's faster again than Burton. If my head's where it needs to be and the race car's underneath me and everything's clicking, I can do it. This time by, white flag in the air one more time around, and Ty Dillon is close again now. So when it all comes together, and it works, and you win, it's the best feeling in the world. Ty Dillon goes to high side. Burton down low, looking for his first win. Coming out of turn number four. Jeff Burton's going to hold up Ty Dillon. Burton wins at Texas. So when he won the race, I was on the spotter stand. You were the man. Do that burnout you've been wanting to do. Great job, guys. And I got lucky to catch the elevator fast and got down there so that about time he pulled in the victory lane, I was already there. I bet you that feels better to him than it, than it did when he won the Daytona 500 himself, watching his, his son. son win. Here comes Jeff Burton out in his 12th start in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Long way from South Boston, Virginia to come to Texas Motor Speedway. How's it feel to get your first big NASCAR victory? Man, it's freaking awesome. I'm just a little old country boy from South Boston and living the dream, man. Thank everybody what's helped me in my whole career. It's been a whole lot of blood and blood and tears to get here, and uh, it means a lot. After Jeb's breakthrough win, you'd think his career trajectory would skyrocket. But in today's world, winning isn't always enough. Back when I was racing, if you would have shined like that, the phone would have rung and you would have had a bunch of other opportunities because it was still dependent on Jeb bringing funding to the team to build a race. After a successful 2013 season, in which Jeb finished fifth in the standings, Jeb's sponsor pulled its funding from Turner Scott Motorsports in late January of 2014, just weeks before teams packed up and headed to Daytona, leaving Jeb jobless. When those moments happen, it sucks. Your confidence goes down feel like you're in a black hole but you just gotta just get out of it and just realize the sun's gonna come up tomorrow how do you do that how do you get out of it it's not easy i take it so hard because i care about it so much jeb ultimately found another truck series ride before the season opener at daytona with thor sport racing who wanted him because he was a proven winner. However, a mediocre performance that year left him on the outside looking in after 2014, and no other competitive offers came his way. It was January and I didn't know what I was gonna do. I had nothing. And this opportunity was there. And I kinda dragged it along and didn't really I was hoping I could stay at Thorsport, but I saw the writing on the wall that wasn't going to work. 
So I had to do it to keep my name out there and race, be able to make a living. So I did it, and I'm glad I did it. It taught me a lot. That opportunity was a full-time ride in the NASCAR Cup Series with BK Racing, a low-budget operation that had ranked 35th with its full-time car the previous season. Jeb started out the year by failing to qualify for the Daytona 500, and things didn't get much better from there. He ended the year with an average finish of 36th and was released from the team that winter. Soon after, Richard Petty Motorsports offered Jeb what he believed to be a full-time Xfinity Series deal for the 2016 season. I went through that stuff, and then the next year I got the Petty deal. And I was like, oh, I went through all that. This is going to be a good deal. And then that fell on my face. I enjoyed working with the Petties, and then sponsor just didn't do what they said they were going to do and shut the team down. So that was that. In 2016, Harrison Burton was just beginning to make a name for himself in the K&N East Series. But after seeing Jeb lose a sponsor mid-season, Harrison recalls the moment he saw the sport's negative side for the first time. I felt bad for him. My grandma, we call her Murmur. She has a, all of our hero cards like on her, po- on her fridge and that thing sponsors on Jeb's car and I always hated that. Dang, why did they take that thing off, right? They, they did him wrong and that was like my first like, oh yeah, this, is, this could go bad pretty quick. Jeb would only run three races for the remainder of the 2016 season. Then, any future ride would be dependent upon Jeb finding a sponsor to foot the bill. It was one of the worst nightmares I've ever been through in my life. I couldn't fix it. If you had somebody in your family that was going to get an illness, like a cancer, you would certainly want it and not want one of your children to have it. So there's some things you just don't want your children to experience. And some of the things that we've been through in racing were just like that to me. Emotionally, there were no different. I've always supported his efforts. You know, I want him to be able to live his dream and do what he wants to do with his life. But through some of the, some of the difficult times, I have just really wished that he would do something else so that he could have some quality of life. When somebody is hurting, it it trickles all the way down. And, you know, I was really involved with all of it then. You know, there's something to be said to be able to go to work and come home on the weekend and not have to worry, are you going to have a job on Monday? And that's really how Jeb's career has been from the beginning. In times of struggle, Jeb leaned on his family for help. Personally, 
and professionally. But Jeb's outlook always remained positive, thanks to these wise words from his father Ward, a former philosophy major in college. No matter what happens in your life, there's a, there's a positive there. As negative as it may be, even when it comes to death, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Whether this opportunity happens or not, life will go on. You're a smart, honest, hardworking young man. You'll figure it out. Life is not going to end over these damn race cars. Life didn't end for Jeb in those years. Despite his struggles on the track, he found a bright spot off of it. And her name was Brandy. So tell me, what was the romantic story of how you and Jeb first met? Yeah, really romantic. He saw me in a picture on Instagram with my brother in front of a local restaurant, and he was like, oh, she comes around here. So he asked his buddies about me, and apparently they approved, and he hit it in the DM on Instagram. Real romantic, right? (laughs) So we met up after the Martinsville race with some friends and ate Mexican and have been together since. Now, for all you premillennial listeners out there, before you go Google what hitting it in the DMs means, I'll explain. I don't feel like I've been... It's when you private message someone on social media and ask them on a date. And it's basically the only way to ask someone out on a date post-2014. Jeb and I had an incident when we first met. (laughs) I get a phone call from a gentleman that I knew that said uh, he's got a dad calling him that he thinks uh, his daughter's with my son, Jeb. And I said, well, if they are, I'm sure she's fine. (laughs) Uh, My parents may or may not have called the cops because they thought that I was missing because at the farm there's no service, and I told them I was going back to college, and really I went to go meet up with Jeb. The next thing I know, I get a call from a sheriff dispatcher and said, look, it's getting ready to go nationwide within 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden, I get a, I'm getting a beep on my phone. I said, let me call you right back. <laughs> and the guy, James, uh, said, yes, there is a blonde girl down there, and her name is Brandy. I said, you tell her that she can come back, but to haul butt somewhere and call her daddy and tell her she's okay. <laughs> so. I initially had the nickname 911 with Ward. <laughs> And that was the first place I met him. I didn't know he was going to be coming out to the Cove that day. And little old Ward steps in and, well, hey, darling, aren't you 911? <laughs> and we were almost getting ready to have a 911 uh, missing person alert from uh, Halifax County. So, yeah, I nicked that. I'll never forget that. I didn't talk. I didn't really talk to her for a week or so after that. He says that, but he was still Snapchatting me. <laughs> I didn't Snapchat you for a week. I didn't talk to her at least a week because I was, I was like, I'm done with this. Jeb called me uh, later in the day and uh, he said, I'm not going to be messing with that girl anymore. <laughs> so needless to say, that didn't happen. <laughs> and my dad was like, I wouldn't talk to her no more. And you see where we are. Yeah, so. I had never been to a race before in my life. My family didn't really grow up around racing and I had no idea who the heck the Burtons were. <laughs> So I guess I just kind of got thrown into NASCAR. 
Now with Brandy along for the ride, Jeb was at a crossroads with his future. To be able to go through everything that he has with his career and build it the way that he has, that's incredible. There's not very many drivers at all that can say that they've been through that and they've came out on the brighter side of it. So I think that's a feat in itself. There's been some times I want to say, fuck it. I am done with this stupid ass shit, is what I said. Because it was. It's more bad days than good. And racing, yeah. That's for sure. (laughs) But it was like, I was done with this shit. Like, done with the backstabbing people, the damn sponsor stuff not going through. Just, I don't need this in my life. I can find something else to do. This is stupid. That's, I mean, that was. I was there. I wanted that more than anything for your own mental health. Yeah. It, it was It was a bad point. place at one point. It was a pretty bad. You can let shit destroy you no matter what you're doing. Jeb was frustrated, disappointed, and exhausted. But he never gave up. After his deal with the Petties fell through, Jeb decided to go part-time, signing with a small team, JGL Racing. I ran seven races for JGL. That's a small team. I finished fourth at Daytona. That was like a win for us. Then that fizzled. Then the next year I was like, I gotta take all my money and go run the best car I can. I went to RCR. That didn't work. Didn't work, didn't have the results. Three race deal. Just didn't work out. I ran some cup races and stuff, and then I was like, I gotta go to a good team, and that's when I went to JRM. Jeb signed with Junior Motorsports for a part-time schedule in 2019 and 2020. But heading into 2021, a door opened, and an opportunity presented itself. One he had been waiting seven years for. I remember I was sitting at JRM in my team meeting after Richmond, and that hit, and I, I was in my team meeting, and I didn't give a shit about what was going on in that team meeting when I saw that. Last bit of news today, silly season, there's a lot of names out there we're not sure, right? But the 42 at Chip Ganassi Racing, that seat was filled today by Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain was the driver of the number 10 car for Colleg Racing in the Xfinity Series. So his move to Cup meant a competitive, fully funded, and full-time ride was available. Honestly, you know, Jeb was kind of on our radar um, before we we actually had a discussion with him about driving for Nutrient Solutions and Colleague Racing. That's Brett Griffin, who spots and works on sponsor activation for Colleague Racing. So when Ross uh, made the decision to go cup racing with Ganassi, it put us in a really good position. Jeb was a nice brand fit with Nutrient Solutions because of Warden and his legacy. I presented three drivers, and I presented uh, the recommendation that Jeb be our guy. Sponsors need a story to tell. Sponsors need a brand ambassador that aligns well with, with their brand. Chris Rice, president of Colleg Racing, agreed with Brett's recommendation and decided to have a little fun with the formal announcement. I kind of played a, a little bit of a trick on him the day that we were going to tell him and uh, told him that he wasn't going to get it, but we were going to sit here and we are going to try to figure out how we could get him in our car. 
We knew going into that phone call that we were going to offer Jeb the opportunity to drive full-time in the Xfinity Series. What we told Ward and Jeb we were going to do, uh, they thought they were coming on for a get-to-know-me, pop-quiz-me session. Jeb and Chris talked, and Chris wanted us at the shop. And I told Jeb initially, I said, I, I can't go tomorrow. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, I need to make sure Chris knows if they ever need me, I'll drop whatever I'm doing. So I dropped my appointment. October 14th. 2020 it finally happened i didn't know you know i didn't know what was going to happen it's never worked out before so why is it gonna work out now that's kind of my attitude from us college racing you know we we want to win trophies and jeb we feel like you're the person we want to help you a 33 race schedule with college racing really really thank you wow so when we offered uh, the opportunity to Jeb, he froze, and, and Ward froze. And, and when it finally started sinking in that, holy cow, these guys just offered me a job, um, you know, Jeb started crying. And, and Y'all made me cry. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's, there's nobody that you're going to ever meet that has worked harder for this opportunity than my son. I mean, i That announcement was probably intrinsically one of the coolest things I've ever done in my career. I mean, I had tears in my eyes because they got so excited and so emotional. And every time Jeb would tell somebody else, he would start crying again. And I literally told him, I said, you are the cryingest human being I've ever been around in my life. I could name a half a dozen times, have cried in joy and cried in sorrow over this NASCAR career that Jeb, Jeb has chosen. When we left there that day, I called my daughter. Hell, my daughter and I started crying. You know, so and she got me crying again because she was crying. So, I mean, yeah, it, uh, it's been very emotional for, for everybody in my family, not just me. It was just such a huge relief because it's been such a difficult path. Ward actually called me when they were at that meeting at the shop and told me he got it. And, you know, I cried. We all cried. And so thankful for the opportunity for him to have a chance to show his talents. Brandy, obviously he wants it really, really bad. How bad do you want it for him? That's hard to put into words. <laughs> um, just with everything that we both have been through, trying to build his career and seeing his reactions away from the track. Not, no one else gets to see that but me. I think that's why I get so emotional for him, just seeing <laughs> everything that he's been through. Um, but that just makes the win that much sweeter and his career finally coming together that much better. Sorry. <laughs> Jeb's journey is far from over, but more on that later. 
When I first talked with Harrison and Jeb for this podcast, they shared they hoped this season would help bring them closer together. At that point, I had no idea about their relationship. All I knew was that Jeb lived in Virginia, Harrison lived in Charlotte, and they're eight years apart. But I learned something that day. This year is the first time they feel like the age difference and distance isn't a factor in their relationship anymore. And I think we'll get closer. Like, I want them to come down here and hunt this year and do some stuff. Because I honestly think Harrison's a good good kid. That is something I do want, is because I know Jeb had a little bit of a wilder childhood than I did, and I'm sure he told you all about it, but I want to hear some of those dang stories, too, that I haven't quite heard because we were always around his parents and he didn't want to tell them. <laughs> He's been sheltered a little bit, too, now. Kim is sheltering baby Harrison, but that's finally uh, being let go a little bit. The chick has finally left the nest. For Harrison, his journey has been different. But holy shit, it does not lack emotion. If you thought you knew Harrison Burton and his path to the Cup Series before, think again. On the next episode... started talking back and forth and he said you ought to do something about it and I just pushed him. Harrison needed to make a stand. When I first saw it I'm like damn me knocked the hell out of him. Imagine being 19 years old one of the biggest names in the sport publicly questions your ability. You can't get it done in a KBM truck might as well go home. friends sitting in the parking lot crying. I wanted to be the phenom. I wanted to come in and win everything. I always wanted to be the first to win a cup championship because my dad never could. The Burton Continuum is a production of Dirty Mo Media. This show is produced and narrated by Alex Timms. Executive producer, Mike Davis. Assistant producer, Jason Schultz. Audio mastered by Matthew Dillner. Artwork by Sean Sen. Audio engineering by Joe Radler. You can follow us on all social media platforms at Dirty Mo Media. You can find all episodes of The Burden Continuum and other original content at DirtyMoMedia.com. Broadcast audio is credited Fox, NBC, MRN, PRN, and CBS. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.